to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. Anything new going on? Well, I moved my little podcast studio. I see that. You got a different different room in the background there. Yeah, I used to share in Avery's room and I could not convince her to leave my office, (laughs) which she's only at our house like every other weekend for four nights. So I'm like, she can just move into the guest bedroom. Well, Eric kept saying, no, 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 no. She loves her bed. She's not leaving, yada, yada, yada. So I got a new desk that matches my guest bedroom furniture and I brought it in here. And then she was here last weekend and she told Eric, you know, if it'd be better for Sherry, I could just stay in the guest bedroom and she could just have this whole room for her office. And I'm like, after you did little, all that, too late. There you go. <laughs> she sees how cute it is now. <laughs> too bad, so sad. No. <laughs> that sounds like what I would have been like as a kid. I'd be like, no, I don't want to go. And then you you finished it off. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm missing yeah, out. Yeah, now I want to go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, but yeah, it's nicer. It's a little brighter and roomier in here. So. Well, that's good. That's good. Got my own space now. <laughs> We've got so much to do. Chad was reading to me about how we have to get our cars registered in South Carolina. Oh, right. oh my God. He's like, first go pay your property tax. I'm like, what? Do y'all have to pay property tax for cars in Alabama? Well, you do it with your tag. See, it's different. In Georgia, they changed it a few years ago. So you pay, like when you buy a car, you pay sales tax on it. Right. Like full whatever percent sales right. tax. Like you buy uh-huh. a car, you pay 8% sales tax. Right. But in South Carolina, I remember because it was right over the river, obviously, it was like $750 you had to pay sales tax when you bought oh, just your car. just a flat just fee? Just flat fee, yes. Oh. But now I'm like, oh, no, because then you don't have to pay like yearly property tax on your car. You just have to pay in Georgia. You just pay like 25 bucks a year to get your registration renewed. Oh, really? There's no property tax for your vehicle? No, because oh. you pay really high taxes at the beginning when you get it. Okay. So now I'm like, oh no, we paid really high taxes when we bought it because we were in Georgia. And now we're going to have to pay all these property taxes on our cars every year. Darn it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that much. Okay. Well, we'll see. I don't know. We haven't been yet. I don't know. Here in Alabama, it's like $250 to register both of our cars. And that's property tax and license and tags and the whole thing. Okay. Well, maybe it's not that bad. It's not crazy. We used to have something called ad valorem tax in Georgia that was kind of pricey. And Uh, they did away with that. So I don't know. But there's so many like loopholes and paperwork. And Chad's like, we got to have proof of residence. He's like, does this work? And he held up this Amazon delivery. I'm like, I don't think so. Like a utility bill, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we gotta, yeah. gotta. I think that our closing statement. That oh, exactly. A little yeah. more official than like, here's my Amazon mailer. <laughs> 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 
anyway, lots to do, but we're loving it here. We officially closed on our other house yesterday. So yeah, that's behind you. It really, really is. It feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. And today you get an amazing customer service shout out from yours truly, mainly because my listeners, y'all have not sent me any customer service shout outs or good news or, you know, I love this person. Uh They make my life easier shout outs. So this is mine. Last week I was struggling. I could not keep track of the days of the week for nothing. And I was picking up an extra shift, which like I remembered earlier in the week, but by Thursday forgot. So suddenly Uh it's five o'clock Thursday night. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to work tomorrow afternoon. I was working a double. I had no groceries. So I ordered Instacart because it was pouring down rain, cats and dogs, and I was not going out. I ordered Instacart and my shopper was amazing. Like the whole time she'd be like, the regular red peppers don't look nice. The organic look better. And she's sending me pictures. And I'm like, yes, please. Whatever looks better. That's what I would like. She was like awesome. And if you've ever Instacarted, sometimes it's hit and miss. She was super conscientious and she constantly kept in touch. She'd have the stalkers go back and look for something in the back that I ordered that wasn't on the shelves. And then as she was going to the checkout, she said, is there anything else you would like? I'm getting ready to go check out. And I had not had, I like to have a nice Dr. Pepper Zero or Diet Dr. Pepper every once in a while. I crave it. I want it. I hadn't had any for like days. I didn't have any at the house. And I said, you know, it'd be great. A cold 20 ounce Dr. Pepper from up by the register if you just grab me one. Well, she texted me a few minutes later and said, oh, I didn't see your text message till I checked out. But I was driving past Mapco and I stopped and got you one, my treat. Oh, I had opened the garage door for her so that she wouldn't have to be like traipsing through the rain. She'd be close to my garage. And then I ran out and was helping her get groceries out of her car. And she's like, you don't have to help me. But anyways, she knew exactly who I was. And she told me that she always loves shopping for me. And she had dog treats for my dogs. And she was just super sweet. Well, when I went to unpackage my groceries, not only did she get me a Diet Dr. Pepper from the grocery store or from the gas station, she got me three. Oh, she was the sweetest. She knows where I work. She told me thank you. And she appreciated the work I did that, you know, our hospital's taking care of her family through the years. She was just an angel. I loved her. And like, if I could choose an Instacart shopper, I would just choose her every time. Like every time. Every yeah. time. So I went, I, of course, I adjusted my tip because she should not have to buy me drinks. So I covered the cost of the drinks plus some. So Kimberly H, Instacart shopper in Rainbow City, Alabama. If you are ever listening to this, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are an angel. I appreciate you. That's awesome. So listeners, clearly we need your stories. That was a good one, but we need yours. So please send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk about Beauty Counter has a new skincare line. It's not really a line. It's sort of a subline called the All Bright System. And it's high in vitamin C and niacinamide. I think I said that correctly. 
And it is great for brightening your skin and fading dark spots, sunspots, sun damage, and just making your skin more even and bright. I have used the All Bright Sea Serum for probably a year and a half now, and it has really drastically changed my skin. So I'm super excited. They have now added a toner to the set and then an oil that's like um, just kind of an... I call it a finishing oil. I don't know. You would use it instead of moisturizer or even under moisturizer. And you just apply it after you apply the serum. So the whole set together is really supposed to help resurface your skin and just brighten it up and make it more youthful and more even. You can find this system at beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we're going to talk about healing trauma, anxiety, and other mental illnesses through yoga. We are joined by Anna Whidden, a licensed mental health counselor and certified yoga therapist. I first reached out to Jana after a recommendation from her former colleague, Mary Joy, who has joined us on several episodes of this podcast, as a suggestion as a person to interview regarding blended families and step-parenting. However, once I reached Jana, she explains that she has moved her clinical practice from an office to a yoga studio. And I was so intrigued by that, that I asked her to come talk to us today about that instead. So welcome, Jana. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. And that sounds like such a great topic. I can't wait to hear about hear about it. But before we get into your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? The lesson that I hope that listeners leave with today is that healing can happen anytime, anywhere, and in any way that works for you. Even if it's not yoga, if it's not therapy, if it's not medication, One of the things that I love about the deeper message of yoga is that healing happens inside each one of us, and we get to dictate what that's like and what works for us. So that's the lesson I'd like the listeners to leave with today. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Talking to you, I was just going to share with you a couple weeks ago, I'm sure you don't know this, our listeners, I hope listen to this other episode. We talked with a woman who has pretty much put her MS into remission through Tai Chi. I think people really are just now starting to really focus on the whole mind-body connection and how it's all connected. Physical movement and using your body and really helps the entire body system. Absolutely. Mind, heart, soul, it all goes, it all goes together. Mind, body, spirit. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Talk to us about your background, what your training is in and how you started your career. Sure. So I always knew I wanted to be a counselor and went through school. And then at some point I knew I wanted to also teach counselors and train counselors. So I progressed through the masters and got licensed to counsel. And I did that and then went on to get a doctorate in clinical mental health counseling so I could teach. And during my doctoral degree, of course, we have to do a final research project. And exercise has always been an important part of my life just to stay healthy and well-minded. And so I was going to do my research on some aspect of exercise and mental health and depression, but I realized that it had been studied quite a bit and kind of stumbled on yoga. I had never practiced yoga. I really didn't know much about it. I really had the same 
impressions that many people do that you just kind of sit around and chant ohm and do a little <laughs> stretching. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I wasn't real impressed with the idea of doing yoga, but a whole other story it just kind of accidentally fell into my lap and I tried it and it was just amazing how much it helped me because during that time of my life, I was working multiple jobs. Um, I was in my late 20s and, you know, life was taking off and being busy and creates a lot of anxiety and wonder about the future. And when I started practicing yoga, a lot of that became much more manageable. It was really amazing. So it really drew me in. And I thought, wow, well, I wonder if there's ever been research done on yoga and mental illness. And so this was just over 20 years ago. There was very little research on any aspect of yoga and any aspect of mental illness. It was really a privilege for me to step into that area and contribute because I did end up completing my dissertation on using yoga to treat depression for adults. And the results were quite significant. And since then, I have just been head over heels with yoga and inundated myself with various yoga trainings. Most recently, and probably the most profound was yoga therapy training, which was a quite an extensive um, training. And since then, the research on yoga and various mental illnesses and symptoms has skyrocketed, which I think is helping to validate for people things that they kind of already knew about what heals them. So that's the short story. <laughs> I guess my brain goes to, okay, do you believe that we hold emotions and trauma in our body, like in our body systems and our muscles and or is it all in the brain? Well, the brain just feeds the rest of the body. So the brain is like the control center for the rest of the body. So what the body experiences, the brain experiences and vice versa. In yoga therapy and yoga history, I would say all types of yoga, that is a foundational premise is that the mind isn't the brain. The mind is an intuitive sense that permeates the entire existence of a human being. So beyond body, beyond immune system, beyond bones, beyond thoughts, inclusive of all of that, and even into things we cannot see, such as energy fields. So absolutely, it's all connected. <laughs> so the healing, do you believe it's the movement of yoga or the stillness, the quieting your mind? Or is it all, it all works together? It really does all work together. And for some people, stillness could be aggravating for symptoms. For some people, movement could be aggravating for symptoms. So it really depends on what a person is experiencing, where they're experiencing those symptoms the most in their body, in their minds, in their brains, in their thoughts, emotions, and it's finding what works for them. And they know it. I mean, we know what works for us. We don't always give that the same amount of validation as if a physician said, here, this is what you need to do. I think that's the challenging part is really listening to your own intuition. And that's where your healing journey is so important. And listening to your body and tuning in. And again, it goes back to what feels good to your body. Like when something is going to work for you, it feels right. So we can trust that feeling. When something feels good, it's probably good. When something feels bad, it's probably bad. 
Mm-hmm. And when something doesn't feel anything at all, that's a message too that that we need to explore a little bit more because especially for people who've experienced trauma, there are protections in place. So they don't feel those, the depth of the trauma on a day-to-day basis and they can function in day-to-day life. So they don't always feel in the same ways as someone maybe who hasn't experienced trauma. So when we don't feel, that's also kind of a feeling that kind we, of numbness right yes, life yes. numb. Mm-hmm. turning we, we off to, all the feelings yes mm-hmm. yep. yeah so while you were talking about when things don't feel good like do what feels good don't do what feels good just kind of mentioned that but is there a point where something doesn't really feel good to a person but they need to work through it because they need to work through it mm-hmm. that makes yeah. sense so Yes, absolutely. So I'll I'll use an example that I always use because I just think it's funny, but I don't really know of anyone who ate kale for the first time and thought, wow, <laughs> kale just tastes absolutely <laughs> delicious. Kale at first bite is not delicious. <laughs> now you can learn to love it and create it in ways that are delicious, but it's healthy for us, right? We eat it. We realize it's healthy. We experiment with it a little bit a little olive oil maybe or salt or something to make it more palatable for us. And then we like it. So yes, sometimes people need to sit with some discomfort to understand how to best use that discomfort. Sometimes discomfort means you do not need to be doing that because it is creating more stress in your body. But for some people, discomfort is you need to step a little bit outside of this comfort zone that you've created so you can feel things more in ways that are better for you. That so, makes a yeah, lot of sense. Push your boundaries a little bit. Right. Expand yes. your boundaries a little you gotta get out of. It's uncomfortable to get out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. But you need to. So when a person comes to you and wants to use yoga, you know, in their healing, How does that work as far as you're a therapist, you're a yoga therapist, you integrate the two? Talk about that. Yes, I do. And I'm very lucky to be in that unique position to be credentialed to do both. I did counseling, just mental health counseling for many years before I was trained in yoga therapy. And even when trained for yoga therapy, I had to approach that very carefully in the counseling context. As I started to integrate some of what I learned in yoga with what I know about people and emotions and healing, the two married very well. And so what that may look like is just the physical position being different. Think of when you go to counseling, you're sitting in a chair, the person you're working with sitting in a chair and couch, and you're looking face to face and it's talking. You talk, you conceptualize you're kind of in the mental zone, you're thinking about things, you're analyzing things. Versus if you were, if the counselor was sitting on the floor, and next to you, you were sitting on the floor, and you were lying on your back, you know, with a prop underneath your knees, and something to kind of support your body, but then you were having a conversation. It almost allows your body to be present in that conversation versus just your thoughts. Because when we're sitting kind of in that position in a chair and a couch, and we're face to face, we're having this conversation, it's almost like we can compartmentalize the rest of us. But when you're in a little bit more of a vulnerable position, 
it's almost like you put your guard down and your body and your senses and your energy become part of that conversation as well. So sometimes it's as simple as that. So yoga therapy is you and one other person in the room having a therapy session and the person, your client, I guess, is that the right word? Is Mm -hmm. in, in different yoga positions. Is that right? That's how I would do it because I am a mental health counselor and a yoga therapist. Now, if someone goes to see a yoga therapist who's not a mental health counselor, it would look quite different. It would be mostly focused on yoga postures and the tools of yoga, different breathing exercises, maybe different mudras, which are hand gestures that are symbolic done to help move energy. So that's what the focus would be. But just how I do it is a little different because I do have both credentials. When you work with your clients, do you have like a specific, I don't know, like a flow that you go through, like, or you just take it as it comes? Do you have specific poses for specific issues? No. No, it's really, it's co-created because I like to have the conversation of what it would be like to do something a little different. And most people now know what I do. So they come to me with the expectation that there will be some yoga (laughs) and some talking. And what that looks like really depends on what they are experiencing, what they need, where they are in their healing process, because it's very important that we don't re-traumatize and create very vulnerable situations for then people to walk back out into their lives and feel very uneasy with, with where they are. You know, we don't want to open something up that we can't kind of package back before they, before they leave. Okay. So you open it up and then you wrap it back up. So do you see past trauma or anxiety or stress present physically in people? And do you specifically work to ease the physical pain that is maybe attributed to the stress or anxiety? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yes. Some people, their physical pain outweighs the emotional pain. So what they feel on a day-to-day is much more of a physical discomfort or pain versus an emotional pain because we all manifest pain, whatever kind of pain it is, differently. If working with someone, whether it be through trauma or anxiety or depression, it's where is that living predominantly in the body? And what does that mean? And how might we explore that to make some sense of it that will create some freedom in that part of the body? And, you know, those body pains are just like tears or just like frustration. There's a meaning and a lesson for us in all of them. It's just hard to always understand what that is. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of like I tend to carry stress in my neck and my shoulder? Is that what that that is? And so I would need to address that part of my body, like right here. This is where I Mm -hmm. carry it. Absolutely. Yep. You know, some of physical pain is just simple day to day. What is your physical position most of the day? And maybe if it's one where you're you're requiring different positions of your body for long periods. Of time. Like people who sit at a desk often will have lower back pain because sitting is tough for the low back. But when we're talking about anxiety and depression, it lives somewhere in the body. People can relate it to someplace in the body, maybe not from the get-go, but then they start to understand 
oh, that's what this is. And in the history of yoga, yogis believe that absolutely everything is connected. So it's not accidental that you have anxiety about being in social situations and you have extreme tension to where it's manifested as TMJ in your jaw. It's not a coincidence that that emotional experience has manifested in that part of the body because there's a lot of meaning behind location of physical pain in relationship to emotional pain. That's so interesting you said that. I used to have awful TMJ pain. Like my chiropractor would actually do like some trigger point work in my jaw when I was in a very toxic marriage. And the minute I divorced him, I have never, like I couldn't eat a sandwich. I would have to cut it up. And the minute I got divorced, I have never had TMJ pain again. So, I mean, like that stress left my life. And I don't know if I was grinding my teeth at night. I don't know if I was holding my jaw like tight in anticipation or anger or frustration. I don't know. But it was very, very real to the point I was going to a dentist saying, what's wrong with my jaw? And structurally, they couldn't find anything wrong. And then I mean, like literally within a few months of leaving that relationship, I was like, gosh, my jaw pain's gone. Now, if I go through really stressful periods of time in my life, whether it was, you know, working in the ER during the pandemic or whatever, I have woke up a few mornings and I'm like, oh, my jaw's sore. And so I do know that stress now, it took me from going through the stress and getting out of it and coming to the other side that I was finally able to be like stress in my jaw, stress in in my life. Mm-hmm. Some of you may have heard of the chakra system, and that is a, it's a pretty important part of yoga and yoga therapy. And so there's a energy center in the throat, in the area of the throat. Just the Cliff Notes version is the throat chakra is kind of the house for communication. I mean, being there in your throat. So it's communication not only with others, it's communication inward It's restricting things that we really wish we had communicated, but we never did. Or it's how we're internalizing how people talk to us. It's our internal dialogue. What is the theme of the way that you talk to yourself in life? So could it also be not feeling like you have a voice? Absolutely. Yes. It all comes back to communication and all the ways that we communicate or don't communicate. Yep. Wow. So by listening to a patient client talk to you about what's going on in their life, what they're struggling with or whatever, would that help you identify what chakra they need to work on? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I am not an energy expert. So I will say that, that that's, that's an entirely different field. But based on yoga therapy training and just study and working with people, honestly, when I first really started getting deep into yoga and I heard about the chakra system, I'm like, what is this? This is ridiculous. It sounded like it's not a thing. I mean, it's too woo woo. It's weird. And, but I thought, you know, it is to me, but I'm just going to keep an open mind and learn about it and see what happens. Well, then through my counseling practice, when I was doing counseling only, I would see people who maybe kind of what with what you just presented as someone who was in a toxic relationship and um, felt like they never had a voice. And they would say, oh, you know, and I every night I wake up because this pain in my jaw. I'm like, wow, okay, so there's some relationship there. And then I would just see this over and over. And 
till I was a believer. Right. Just like today in modern medicine and psychiatry and whatever, people learn by observing people. And, you know, it's all like anecdotal evidence at first until you like start putting the pieces together, right? But it's the same thousands of years ago. People were observing people and they took what they learned and that's what they developed was like the chakra system, right? And then in modern medicine, we're like, well, that's not, you can't quantify that. Right. Whatever. So you discard it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But But it doesn't mean it's not real. Yes, exactly. And well, at our core, you know, we're all energy. We we are all, all matter is oh, made of energy. So absolutely. When you get down to the energetic level. I mean, that's you know, my my chemistry husband, he he understands <laughs> that. That's what he understands that probably way better than I do. But we yes, are all energy. Yes. So mm-hmm. yeah. And it's energy that works in conjunction with the energy around it that then works with the energy around that. Everything is connected. And once you make a change, you notice differences. So part of what you're doing is helping people work on their energy, changing their energy. Yes. Making some internal shifts about lots of things that impacts them energetically. A lot of things that we do is breath work and breath work is about energy. And depending on the breath practice, it impacts our energy in different ways. And that can make shifts. And I think, you know, in the beginning, when you asked me what, what is the life lesson for listeners today, it's really to navigate that in which is healthy and healing for them and to pay attention. And that's what all of this is about is we know how we feel when we take a big, deep breath. We know we feel better. We feel different. And just listening to that more and feeling those internal shifts when we do those small things that make big impacts. How could a listener start to incorporate breath work just on their own? I would say the easiest way is to just dedicate a few minutes to observe breathing. Breath work starts with observation and simple observation of, am I breathing more in my belly, more in my chest? Are my inhales longer than my exhales? Do I breathe really quickly? What am I thinking about when I'm breathing? It's just, it's almost like you walk into a room and you're just writing down everything that you see in the room. You know, the wall is gray, the computer's sitting here, the desk is over there. And just by that process of breath awareness, you're already working on resetting your internal system. Just as simple as that. I just think people just take breath. breathing yep. for granted, right? You just, yeah, you don't even think about breathing. it. You don't right. think about it. So it's really just taking that and being conscious mindful. of your breath and, and mindful of it and really, you know, taking stock of it. Like you said, more and more people are getting more in tune with this. I mean, just like your Apple watch has your mindfulness little mm-hmm. once an hour and it makes you stop and breathe for 60 seconds or whatever. And just like, oh gosh, those, I forget what they're called. Those little whistle things that people use for anxiety. Do you know what I'm talking about? Thing you, you blow into? Yes. It's not a so, whistle though. Well, it's not really a Is whistle. Is it a Komodo shift? Is that the name of it? That might be what it's yeah. called. My friend's husband has PTSD and a TBI. He was in the army and he wears one of those around his neck constantly because when he starts to feel really anxious and panicky, it truly helps him. And really it's just a device 
You're just blowing into I have one. Yeah. Oh, you have one? It's a breath practice. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. Something with intermittent fasting podcast. Melanie got one and then she had them send me one. I don't know. Were they sponsoring us? Maybe. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) My husband wants one. So my husband struggles with anxiety. He's kind of one of those people that needs a tool. Like to just sit there and do it on his own feels woo-woo to him, right? But you give him a tool, a toy, then it's like. That makes more sense. It's different. I should pull it out and figure out exactly how to use it. Yeah, I've got so, it. it. It made the move with me. I could, so I can just totally <laughs> see how a person who is struggling with anxiety, whether it's daily anxiety or chronic anxiety, just the breath work alone in yoga could be so healing for them. It just makes them slow down and, like you said, resets your systems and slows everything down, slows your heart rate down. When you have anxiety that is heightened, it's like being on a treadmill that you can't turn off, but you're trying to get off of it. And if you don't get your feet in sync with the treadmills, something's going to go wrong. You're going to, you know, you're going to have a crash landing and breath is the same way. If you're, so think of the breath as the treadmill and as fueled by anxiety, it just, it's going and it's going and it's going. So what's going to happen to the rest of you? Well, it has to go along with that current and then things just get completely out of balance. So if you can kind of interrupt that with whatever tool works, it's the Apple Watch, you know, reminding you to breathe every hour, whatever it is, it all comes back to mind-body practices. We've just found advanced technological ways and gadgets to bring us back to the simplicity of mindful breathing, which is great. It's a great direction for us to be heading in. So the things you teach them in your studio, your clients, you go through a little session, you do some yoga work. Is that something they take home and that they practice on their own, like in the same manner that you have worked with them in the studio? Or is it more of just the physical at home without incorporating the mind work? Well, really it's, we decide what is best for them at home because sometimes we actually create anxiety in the session to then bring it down to show them how to use the, their internal tools to decrease the anxiety. And we don't do that with, you know, what is the thing that brings you the greatest anxiety, but let's talk about something that does increase your anxiety a little bit. And then we're going to use, you just kind of like an in vivo experiment. Well, I don't want them to go home and do that necessarily. So it's what part of this do you see being the most useful when you are at home in day-to-day life? And they say, well, you know, this part I think I can do and I can feel safe and secure doing that. And, and, And so we say, okay, so this is what it would look like doing it at home. Okay. So if somebody comes home completely stressed out from a bad day and rush hour traffic was horrendous and... They can come home and they can take 30 minutes or whatever and sort of decompress with what the tools you have taught them. That's so great. That really is. I can see that being valuable for really a lot of people who don't have the tools on their own. Like maybe their only tool is food or de-stressing with the television or something. And those are not the best tools to use. So how can somebody find someone like you, Jana? How can they find (laughs) Good question. (laughs) People are probably like... Wow, I would like to do that. I want to do this. Yeah. Well, so yoga therapy, in order for someone to to actually call themselves a yoga therapist, they do have to have a significant amount of training in yoga therapy. So they would have attended 
a program that is a minimum of 500 hours training doing yoga therapy, and they are yoga therapists. You can typically find them through the International Association of Yoga Therapists. Not everybody is registered through that organization, but that is a good place to go. But you can Google around um, where you live and see who's available. But asking about their credentials is extremely important. And asking them about their process is extremely important. Because I have known people who've been yoga teachers and who have approached yoga with people that was really outside the scope of being a yoga teacher, and was more in the territory of being a mental health counselor. And what I've talked about today and what I do, again, is because I hold both credentials as a licensed counselor and a yoga therapist. So most of the time, I would say in yoga therapy sessions, the yoga therapists would not be engaging in the same types of conversations that I would be. But but it's a very focused approach. And just to find someone who's credentialed and that you feel comfortable with is important. So I'm assuming a regular yoga therapist who is not also a licensed mental health counselor, they still are going to address some mental health issues as far as like, help you with stress reduction, or they may not help you with like a lot of past trauma in your life or something like that, that you need to resolve, but just daily stress, anxiety, mood enhancement stuff. The tools Would that, be that correct? you need to, to process yes. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there plenty of people out here who do this? Because I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Is no, this something I think people it's, it's could pretty- find in big cities? I would say big cities. Yes. And it's a pretty specialized area of yoga. And even there are many yoga teachers who don't even know there's a differentiation between a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist. So say a person can't find a yoga therapist. And I mean, I'm assuming just a regular yoga practice is still very beneficial Mm -hmm. overall for absolutely for helping people through some of this stuff. I always say that that yoga is therapeutic, period. Mm-hmm. The practice of yoga is therapeutic. Now, the caveat to that is finding the right teacher, the right environment, and someone who is qualified. At present, there are no state laws that require licensing for yoga teachers. So a yoga teacher can be a person who's had a weekend training and online certification or thousands of hours of training. Okay. So there's a big difference of people out there teaching yoga. Absolutely. The yoga that you would often get in a gym setting would not be exactly equal to what you might get in a yoga studio. Not to say that there aren't some gym situations where the yoga is more therapeutic, but I know the yoga that I teach and that is taught at my studio is very therapeutic. All the teachers do make an effort to base their physical yoga class sequence on some aspect of yoga philosophy, aspect of healing that is infused through everything that they do throughout the class. And that to me is very, very healing. So it's not simply like yoga for fitness. It's not what we're right. looking for. We're looking for right. yoga that, that brings in the mind, body, spirit together. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I used to have a pretty strong yoga practice and I got really sick about two years ago and I just never picked it back up again. I keep saying I need to, but you know, it's just like one of those things I'm like, I really have to concentrate to do it and rein my thoughts in. I'm very ADHD. So my brain is like everywhere. And I've heard people say before, oh, I can't do yoga. It's too still. What's your best tip 
for helping people really like focus and give yoga a chance. Like well, it took me a while to stop making grocery lists while I was. <laughs> I still do. I still do. <laughs> do. Do you have a good well, tip? If you've been around kids long enough and if you've been in an environment where teachers or adults are kind of trying to rein in kids, they always say, well, let's do something to shake the wiggles the out. Sillies, the wiggles yeah, out. Shake right. out the sillies. Yeah. Shake out the sillies. That's it. That's it. So yoga can be kind of the same thing. I think the challenge that people put in front of themselves is saying, I have ADHD. It's hard for me to sit still. Well, don't start with sitting still because that is hard for someone who does not have ADHD. So you should do yoga that you're going to be moving more. And that's kind of shaking your sillies out. That's like getting all that energy that's kind of like popping around like popcorn inside. It kind of helps to get it put in its places where it needs to be. So then you can sit still. So when you asked me in the very beginning about people sitting still and how that's possible for people, and is that kind of where you start? I'm like, well, it depends on what the person's experiencing. So for someone who has a really hard time sitting still, I'm not going to say, okay, well, let's work on you sitting still. Because that's kind of saying you can't swim, so I will take you out into the middle of the ocean and <laughs> let you figure it out. And right. I'll say, okay, we'll do your arms like this. <laughs> do your legs <laughs> like that. So you don't want to do that. So I would say if you really have a tough time being still, move. Let your body move. Because your body's saying, you know what, we got to move. There's something going on. It's kind of, you know, that energy is kind of keeping me active. So let your body just process that through yoga movement. I will so say so I, did, yoga, I started great with standing poses. And I think because it was using my body and because you're really having to concentrate on balance. So it dials your brain down. So anything that had to do with balance was really, it takes your focus, which in the end really helps me. It really helps and centers me and makes me less scattered, but it, it does take practice to get there. Absolutely. I yes. think it's time to pull it back out, Sherry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> My, My husband, Jana, is it. I get dizzy when I'm upside down. I'm uh, trying to take yoga mm-hmm. classes mm-hmm. and I get dizzy upside down. So I need to do one where you're not upside down. Yeah. So no downward dog. No. Isn't and, that weird? Have you heard yeah. people like me? Mm-hmm. Yes. For different reasons, this happens to people and it's typically people as they age, someone younger, it's usually like a pretty significant health problem. But, you know, just even a standing forward bend, when you come up, you do feel dizzy. So then you would always just modify. There are different things that you can do to feel less dizzy and maybe mitigate some of that or not at all. How much of of that that is is your vestibular system? Like, can you strengthen it? Like, can you make it less sensitive through yoga? I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know it was kind of like proprioception. Like Like you can like increase your proprioception. So I didn't know if you could kind of increase your vestibular range, maybe for lack of better word. Yes. Well, because there are a lot of reasons why people do feel dizzy. It could have to do like, you know, we're the three of us are women here. So it could be menopausal symptoms. It could be inner ear issues. It could be symptoms of taking medication, a new medication, or it could be dehydration. So there are many reasons that someone could feel dizzy. 
And I'd like to think that we can retrain most anything to function more healthy. Now, could we completely rid it? I don't, I don't know. To me, it kind of feels like a little bit of like, I've always suffered from motion sickness from childhood. And so even like if we're at the movie theater and the popcorn is going really fast down the hill, I get like queasy. It's weird. <laughs> I wonder if you did yoga blindfolded, if that would uh, <laughs> I wonder because I it, it could have something to do with your vision. Uh -huh. Like, yes, what yep, you're seeing eyebrow. and how you're interpreting. It might that be. Movement. It might be because when I was, you know, sure, the one time I've ever been seasick was when I spent the entire day on the balcony of our our stateroom watching. I was reading, but the ocean was in the background, and it was that whole up and down of the ocean, and and that made me really, really seasick. So I, I think it's something with the visual for me. It's it is. I mean, I've gotten sick at like an IMAX theater. <laughs> Like I said, just watching the movie. I'm like, why am I so sick feeling? I don't know. <laughs> well, how can our listeners connect with you or find you or see what you're about? And oh, I wanted to ask you real quick. You have a program, the Empower program. Real quick, talk about that. And I know you do a scholarship program. If our listeners wanted to somehow help with that, can they? They absolutely can. So the Empower program is, it's our scholarship program, but also our program that where we offer yoga for different mental illnesses. We've kind of ramped up our offerings this year. We've offered yoga for yoga therapy for stress relief, yoga therapy for anxiety relief. They've been very, very well attended because I think people are really just looking for other ways to supplement their medical treatment. And the two together are really wonderful. So that's in our Empower program, that's part of it is the programming. And then the other part is we do offer financial assistance for people who can't afford yoga and who have mental illness. Some yoga is not cheap. And there are a lot of people who have a lot of financial demands, personal demands, working two and three jobs to support themselves, their kids, their families extended families, and they need yoga and can't afford it. So an important part of my work is that I want people to have a place they can come, even if they can't afford it. And That's so wonderful. people can see more about the Empower program and about me at Yoga Point, and it's point with an E at the end.com. So Y-O-G-A-P-O-I-N-T-E.com. And I can always be reached through the contact page there. All right. Well, thank well, you so I will much put a for link in show notes. And yeah, thank you for being with us. <laughs> You're very welcome. I appreciate the invitation and the chance to talk about what I love doing. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with us in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members there as well. Sherry is hosting monthly Zoom hangouts, and I'm going to those as well, where we can connect and talk. You can join us in this new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99, and you can change to a different tier at the end of any month simply by managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. If you truly get value from the podcast each week, we would hope that you'd be willing to, to choose one of those packages. And it really helps support the work we do on the podcast and the costs associated with it. It's basically 
our way instead of having Patreon, like a lot of podcasts do, to fund the podcast to you know the production costs and all the the costs associated with it. We're using Circle, and so you also can connect with us. Sherry, I was actually talking to somebody today who's starting a podcast, and I was explaining to her how to start. And it's someone that's she's in the Delayed on Tonight community, and she actually won a package from Resonate Recordings to you know start oh, nice. her own podcast package. Mm-hmm. So she got a microphone, and she's like, "I'm ready to do it." And she was great, great to talk to her. And you know, I love to teach people about how to do something. And I was like, now let's talk about how much it costs. <laughs> and I was talking about hosting fees and editing fees. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, when I started my podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, I paid for the package where they help you with your intro music and your outro music and all of that. And she was like, what? It costs all this much money? And I'm like, yeah. So it's not just me and Sherry sitting at our computer talking. <laughs> there are a lot, a lot of people. Of work there's the a, yes, there's a lot yep. of work behind the scenes that we have to pay people to do and just the hosting itself. So if you enjoy our podcast, we really would love for you to support us by joining at lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Patty in Colorado. She said, this is both a listener-led lesson and a customer service shout-out. The listener-led lesson is when you gas your car or go to vacuum your car, take your keys with you. I've always tossed my keys in a cubby in front of my gear shifter. The other day, I was at a car wash and they had wet cloths available to wipe down the interior of my car, including the armrest that has my door lock switch. I was ready to vacuum, so I got out and had to shut my door to reach the vacuum. Well, I had locked myself out of my car. I guess I hit the switch to lock the car while I was wiping down the interior. Now for the good news. A man using the vacuum behind me came to see if he could help. Since I have really bad arthritis, I use a walker or cane when walking. Of course, both of those items were locked in my car. So he went and got the young man working at the car wash, and the two of them helped me into the office part of the car wash. The young man working the car wash called a locksmith for me and made sure I was comfortable for the one and a half hours I had to wait for the locksmith. This young man checked on me from time to time whenever his workload lightened up. I'm more than grateful for the help I received and the kindness shown me by the other customer that was vacuuming his car and the young man that works at Cobblestone Car Wash on South Broadway in Littleton, Colorado. That's great. I just leave my keys inside my truck when I go and wipe it down and vacuum it. I've never even contemplated it would be so easy to lock it. I don't know. Some cars don't let you do that. You know that when I say that? My truck does not let you lock it if the keys are in it. Yeah. This built-in safety thing. Some cars don't. Yeah, but some cars do. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) I remember one time we were at the beach. I was there with my friend. We had taken a day trip to Edisto. We lived in Aiken, South Carolina at the time, and we got there and we were going to go to this little store to buy like drinks for the beach or something. And so she put her bag in the back of the car and closed it. She's like, oops, my keys were in there. Uh-oh. So we had nothing and there. We were on Edisto. So thank goodness her parents lived maybe an hour and a half away or I don't know, an hour away. I don't know how far away Charleston is. They were in Charleston, maybe 45 minutes. But they were able to get a spare key and bring oh, it. Good. Edisto is pretty <laughs> Rural, as far as beaches go, I don't think rural, is rural the right word for it. It's just a very beachy beach, but not like, oh, there's not like a locksmith on there. Oh, 
or at least there wasn't 20 years ago. Right. They had it's to not a touristy beach. No, it's like houses. It's Something a very that local people old, go. tiny kind mm-hmm. of beach. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> you definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Shell. The quote from Rosa Parks is, I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, it diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. Shell shares, indecisiveness is what causes fear and anxiety in me and keeps me from proceeding with a task. But once I am confident with my decision, then I become fearless of my choice and from my fear of criticism. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if indecisiveness causes fear and anxiety or fear and anxiety causes indecisiveness. For me, that's the way it works. That's a good point. Like when I wanted to start the podcast, it was fear and anxiety that kept me from doing it for the longest time because I wanted to make sure I did it well and that it was great, you know, and how was it all going to work? And I was, I'd never done it before. That's so very true. I was indecisive about starting or when to start or was I ready to start? But then like once I made the because decision- Because of the fear and anxiety. And yeah. I said, I'm going for it, then- You just did it. Then the fear and anxiety really kind of went away. That's true. You're right. So yeah, that's a really good one, Shell. Thank you for that. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. And your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And we would also love for you to leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. That helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.